Death is something that comes to all of us sooner or later. It is the threshold we must cross before meeting our God and entering the eternal now. No greater joy could possibly exist, and yet, what a difficult threshold it is to bear. What a bitter cup it is to drink. This world may not be our ultimate home, but it does contain everything we know, everything we hold dear. No death is easy. Announced or unannounced, it always comes as an unwelcome rupture, often leaving scars that take a long time to heal. No one knows this better than Joseph Earthman, a fourth-generation funeral home service provider, now a funeral director and business owner in Houston, Texas. He helps families through some of the most difficult times in life. What do you do when a loved one dies? How do you say a proper goodbye? Welcome to the Beauty Ever New Podcast. Welcome. We, we have with us Joe Earthman, Joseph. What do you like to go by on the interwebs? Uh, Joseph is probably what I'm known by. Joseph. We'll call you yeah. Joseph then. All right. Tell the people what you do, Joseph. What do I do? I technically, I own and operate a funeral home mm-hmm. here in the Houston area. And there are two components to that, I think. One is we, we execute the contracts that specify what the family's preferences are. So for example, within the Catholic context, if a family would like to have a vigil the night before, followed by mass the next day, followed by going to a cemetery for burial, we will organize the logistics of that um, and then staying compliant with state and federal laws, we will enter into a written contract with a family and that requires a few licenses. So that's sort of the technical side or that's more of the logistics side. A bigger part in my opinion, and I tell families this often from the very first conversation that we have is that the other piece that I provide is advice Mm -hmm. and suggestions. Mm -hmm. And it used to be when I was younger in my career, I would give the advice that I thought would best make them feel happy Yeah, that I thought would best bring about a, hopefully a, a nice bit of feedback to my boss saying, wow, that Joe Earthman, he really treated us well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we are thankful for that. And that part was easy. It was easy to accomplish that when you're trying to just tell people what, when you already know what the end desire is. And so it was easy to, to, to do that, to provide, to, to work with people in that capacity. But what I found though, over the years is especially owning my own business. And that's, that's actually being the decision maker has really allowed me to, uh, because I didn't work with families from, a perspective of I want to get a good rating mm. so that I'll be pleasing to my bosses. Um, 
when I worked for other companies, I had to behave that I had to work in that context. But when I, after working for myself, I realized that I can give honest feedback on when families are discussing and, and telling me the things that they would like to do and things like that. Mm-hmm. I will honestly step forward and say, Hmm, you know, based on a previous experience with a different family, they went in that direction mm-hmm. and here's where it didn't work out yeah. quite the way that I think you think it is. Yeah. So have you all considered this or have you considered that? And that's really where I feel, um, the, the advice, the suggesting, and especially when somebody comes, when somebody calls and they are convinced that they want to go in a certain direction. Um, and when I can give them feedback on that and they decide to go in a different direction and honestly a direction that I have suggested, and then two or three days after the fact, come back and say, man, that was actually, we had no idea that that path was even available to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and they show gratitude for that. And that's really, I'd say that's really what I do. Um, anybody can, anybody can take and organize the logistics of an event. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's really just being able to listen to the people and kind of get a, try to get his best ideas is what I think their need is based on conversation and then to really provide that. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, That's kind of what I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, we just recently had a very high profile funeral in the city of Houston, mm-hmm. which was, you know, the passing of, of uh, former President George H.W. Bush. Uh-huh. And I, th- I think Alice, your wife, mentioned that you had, I think, gone to the to the wake or to the, not the funeral, right? Correct. So I went to the wake the night before. At Were you uh, in charge of the body? No, 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 no. Okay. No, they, um, it's a presidential funeral. While I've not been directly involved or privy to one, um, from what I've seen and from what I've talking to other funeral directors, it's a fascinating event to put on. Yeah. Because there is... Is that like the Super Bowl for, for people no. in your profession? <laughs> no. I would actually say n- not at all. I mean, it's it's very, very interesting. Yeah. What about it? Just the logistics. Um, There's a lot of um, ritual, right? And a lot of kind of... Uh, what's the right word? A lot of just being proper. You know, there, there seems to be a lot of tradition mm. that goes along with it that you know, has to be observed a certain way. At least that's what I saw when I was watching the funeral, that there was just a lot of decorum. Maybe that's the right decorum. word. Decorum, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. There was, I would say, and I don't want to just assign an arbitrary percentage. I would say most of it is the same type of ritual and the same type of decorum that would be afforded anybody. Okay. Um, the fact that he, we it was the funeral service for a president. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it afforded him things like lying in repose in the state in uh, the rotunda of the Capitol. Of course, building. which uh, comes with its own drama. Right, which comes with which. <laughs> I mean, but the fact that he was in the Navy, 
you know, that right. his, the military honors at the burial and actually. So the, his was the, different in, in that sense, like because he was in the military, there was a certain difference than let's say someone that was just a civilian. Right. So when someone is a veteran and it's mm -hmm. any veteran, my father's gonna, my father's a veteran. And if, if we wanted to have military honors, we could, mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's more or less the same okay. for all veterans. Uh, now, President Bush's was a little bit more grandiose because they had the full 21 jet fighters jet flying over, yeah. right. over yeah. College Station, I think. And so, um, and so the details could be a little bit more expanded, but the basic ritual itself doesn't change too, too much. Okay, okay. Um, even inside St. Martin's, the ritual itself was very similar yeah. to anything that any other Episcopalian right. would be afforded. It's just, you know, most people don't have 12, 13,000 people who are going to come to yeah. pass by your casket. Yeah. But, um, and that's a whole other, I mean, there's, there's a lot of potential discussion with just that, you know, right. what compels that many people to stand in line mm -hmm. and go through that moment. Um, yeah. I mean, that, in, a, in a sense, that's kind of cool in the sense that though he was a president, he's treated the way that any person would. So there's kind of a, a dignity to every person that a president is no different in a way. He's still a person. Yeah. And in a way it's, it's like the that's great equalizer. Cool. Right. Yeah. Right. Like you can do more in a way to like, to elaborate the process, but at its core, it's yeah. still a funeral for someone who has passed. Yeah. Right? So as far as funerals went, were you impressed in any way? Was there anything in particular that bothered yeah. you or that was like... <laughs> I didn't actually... You know, like, do you pay attention to the details? Yeah. Or I like... didn't actually watch any of the... <laughs> I didn't... So he had two funerals. He had... So it's funny. I put on my Facebook post, I said, okay, everybody, just... <laughs> Keep in mind, a funeral service is different than a memorial service right? uh -huh, because uh -huh. the media, they, they use it interchangeably. And for the most part, it's not such a big deal. Explain the difference for us. Well, the main difference is with a funeral, the person who died is there. Okay. Um, and where, that's, that's for the funeral and the yeah, memorial that, mass. Yeah, that's what defines yeah. a funeral. Yeah. Um, the original word goes back to the Latin word funeralis, which referred to um, most literally as a torchlight procession. Oh, and I won't lie, the scene, I forget which one of the Star Wars prequels, when Padme dies, mm. her procession was at night, you got, and everybody's moving slowly, and I thought, aha, that's a good example yeah. of a, you know, a modern day rendition of a true wow. funeralis, a, a, a torchlight wow. procession, and so they moved very slowly. Was yeah. it always done at nighttime? I think for, so. For cinematic effect. No, 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 no. These were, these were, I mean, we're talking. Is this like a baptized thing? Like it was like some pagan ritual and we basically said, Let's sprinkle water on it. That I don't know, but okay. probably so. Okay. I mean. As most good so. things are. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Coffee. So that's the main difference. Okay. Is, yeah. is, and that's the technical difference that the person who died is mm. on, is on scene. Yeah. Um. In my opinion, that is, we will try to provide the services that families request. Yeah. But I've seen with my own two eyes that without question, the most significant 
influence on the impact of the service is whether or not the person is there. Mm. Um, whether the casket is open or closed. Um, if the person's not there, the entire tenor is different. Yeah. And it's, 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 it, it's just an entirely different service. And I think, um, it's less formal. Um, it tend, they tend to lean on the, let's just celebrate. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but, and all of that is fine and good because laughter and, and sharing of good times is good, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, we know that life isn't just all good, that it's a balance between very difficult moments right, and very, uh, comfortable and rejoicing yeah. moments. Um, and I think actually President Bush's his, his final week, I think was a real, uh, the final week where the news was all about mm-hmm. him was very interesting. And in that just as much as people were coming out and saying all these wonderful and glorious things about him, you also had a lot of people on the other side saying, Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. Maybe you forgot this one time when he pushed for this particular bill, right. or right. maybe you guys forgot about this this moment when he did such and such that was not quite as praiseworthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, but they, and so they have to balance each other out. And, um, and I think that that really was, uh, a good, because people were talking about it and it was in the news. Um, and I think that's a good representation of the way, and the church also is, is, will, Priests will direct families, especially if they're going to, if they want to give a eulogy. A lot of times priests will say, now, you know, let's make sure that we don't just stand up here and make the person sound like they were the greatest person. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely don't want to canonize the person. Yeah. That's a, that's yeah. a, a real temptation so. because you, you know, and it's almost like you want to, um, you want to be sympathetic to the mourning of someone and you overcompensate by yeah. elevating that person to a level of sanctity yeah. that they didn't have. And everyone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, so I think, so I, one of my personal, what, what is a a bit of a personal mission, if you will, that then bleeds into my way of operating a business is that I will try just about every way possible for a family to have the body present. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, Not cremated, but like pre-cremated body. Pre-cremated. Pre-burial, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you're going to do. Um, Glad it's not a post-burial body. I don't, yeah. know, I don't even know that. <laughs> um, is to have the person present because when the person is present, it forces, I think it, 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 it emotionally, mentally, and physically forces people who are in the same room yeah, to, yeah. to reflect. And I think that portion is very important. You know, I wrote a blog once that, Something about why didn't anybody cry at grandma's funeral? Well, because grandma wasn't even there. Yeah. And mm-hmm. all they did was talk about the wonderful things. Right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. so I was glad to see that the services for President Bush, that they, they really emphasized he's here. He's in this casket. <clears throat> I mean, I'm going to submit an opinion piece to the Chronicle. They probably won't publish it, but it'll mm-hmm. be about... You know, the 12,000, 13,000 people showed up mm-hmm. at 
to go to St. Martin's and it was 40 degrees outside because he was there. Yeah. If mm. they had just had a picture, a of picture, him. nobody would go. I mean, That's why right. would you? Mm. Yeah. Not the same. Because yeah. he was there. That, that was the reason everybody went. Yeah. Mm. Very cool. I went kind of to see, <laughs> to just to see it all. Just yeah. to see, okay, I want to. I kind of want to hear what people are talking about. And mm-hmm. I want to see how does how how are how is St. Martin's going to line people up to do this? Like, I was interested yeah. to see the logistics of how you would handle the, that. The pro people. wanted to go in and yeah. see. Like, I wanted to see, okay, where are the Secret Service? Just yeah. where's the clergy standing? Right. Um, you know, right when, right when uh, the Military. So when he first went in, you know, you got the eight pallbearers mm-hmm. and I, I, I didn't pay enough attention. It may have been two people from each branch of service, but anyway, it's, it's the various representatives from the branches of service were actually carrying his casket mm-hmm. and they kind of do their cadence and yeah, march yeah. in. And then when you're inside and then they place the casket down on the beer, B I E R. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they walk away. Well, when they first do it, you have to kind of, what we refer to as square up the casket. You got to make sure that, okay, you set it down and then you stand back and you're like, okay, wait, lift up and let's move over six inches. Right. Yeah. And then you relook at it again. And then you're like, wait, nope, we overshot. Let's mm-hmm. move back another two inches. Yeah. Yeah. And so with president Bush's, it was funny cause it was way off. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so, but it was corrected. Um, but it's just one of those things where I was <laughs> looking for that. Sure. Yeah. And uh, so I thought that's yeah, good to see everybody. Even the most trained military guys who are doing the honor guard. Was his casket open when people went to go visit? No, I don't think so. Um, in Washington, I don't think it was. And hmm. definitely not here in Houston. That's that's amazing because you had you know, over 10,000 people that came to go you know, pay their respects and, and mourn in whatever way um, for something they didn't even get to see. Like his body was there and you knew it was there. And you, you saw the casket and there's a kind of suggestion that there's something inside of it. But... Um, the it's not even like you actually got to see you know him there it was just yeah. the suggestion that he was there and um that's a that's an interesting thing that but it just did. it goes to show how powerful that presence is yeah you know, yeah like what yeah, kind of yeah. goes back to what you were talking about earlier yeah there's a, and for catholics um, i don't know if you got that brochure that i sent you yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah we both um, read it for when I'm talking to Catholics to try to give them if the concept of healing and impact is a little too much for them to handle at the time, because it stands to reason if they just lost somebody, you know, they might not have slept in their own bed in a week. You know, yeah. they may have been at the hospital. Yeah. And yeah. They're probably really hungry and they're just exhausted. So I, <clears throat> I try to bring in other visual aids to kind of help with the concept of the physical presence being a big factor and influence Mm. in the entire experience. And so we talk about the coldness and the wetness of the holy water. Yeah. um, The color of the stained glass, you know, how does the organ fill up our ears and how does that move us? And yeah. And we're talking, this is not even, no one's even said a word. Yeah. Um, 
And so I think once people understand that and they can kind of get in tune with that, it starts to make a little bit of sense. Right. Um, it's like everyone has, you know, we are all sort of imbued with this sacramental imagination innately. Like we want the things that we feel and touch and smell and taste to, to have meaning and to make sense. And without that present, you sort of aren't able to mourn, you aren't able to comprehend what's going on. But the degree to which you're actually present is the degree to which things seem to start making sense, even in death. Like the, the one thing that struck me a, a lot actually in, in reading after um, Justice Scalia's funeral was when someone was commenting on the tenacity of the people of God because what happens in mass, in the Catholic mass, is you have the body in the casket and it's you know perpendicular, it's parallel to the nave, perpendicular to the altar. So when you walk up, the people to the left and right during communion, you walk past the body of the, the deceased person up to the priest and he says, body of Christ, and you say, amen. Mm-hmm. And you declare basically that like what you believe to be true is what the church teaches is that this person who's next to me, their body is going to be you know, resurrected in the end with Jesus. And it's like the, the power of that symbol is totally lost if there's not a body there. But if there's someone who you look, you can like drape your finger on the casket as you walk past mm-hmm. moments before you receive communion. That's one of those things that like, that's when the funeral mass makes sense is when you're like walking up and doing that. And, and every other time it's, you know, you're like building up to that moment. Yeah. You'll notice. So you'll notice that the moment that I realized there was really something powerful about having a casket present, whether it's open or closed is when we were, when you process down the aisle and you go pretty slow, but when I started to notice that people would reach over the pew to touch the casket going by, um, and then I mentally compared that image, seeing it over and over and over to to a lonely urn sitting there, which Mm. nobody will touch. Sure. It re it, it was a real moment when I realized that, that people go out of their way to touch a casket and they will go out of their way to avoid touching an urn. Yeah. Number one, I think there's something instinctive about that, but two, that's when I realized, okay, Joe, you need to convey that Mm -hmm. sentiment however you can to people who seek your advice. And if I don't do that, then I'm remiss in my duty. Yeah. You know, and I, I really actually enjoyed reading that brochure. I I think you really, you, you did a good job. Uh, It was well written (laughs) and, and it made me think about, I mean, in a way, put a link in the show notes for all you listeners who haven't read it yet. We're like, Oh, that reading is really good. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned was, um, that there's a kind of a perception that maybe if you cremate the body right away, it will help with the grieving process. And maybe, you know, if you do it and kind of get that, that difficult process out of the way, it will help. But I think you mentioned in that brochure that that's actually not the case. That it is, though you can say that to have the body present at the mass could in the, in the short run cause a little more pain but it's it's very much that pain that then allows you to to move on well not to move on but to grieve and to get to the to the point where you can begin to to live life again yeah yeah i've i've i'm actually neutral on cremation as a form of disposition mm-hmm. um because i'm i'm a believer that 
you know, what, what happens to the way your body lies in perpetuity, that, that can be any number of ways. Right. Um, now the church says either you're going to be buried or you're going to be cremated. And if you're cremated, don't scatter or separate the cremated remains, bury right. them whole. Right. I mean, that's a whole other topic that I would say the vast majority of Catholics don't understand in any capacity. Yeah. Um, is what you said just basically the one-liner summary? That the thing that people don't understand is that if you're cremated, don't scatter the remains, keep them together. Yeah. And do they need to go in a columbarium, or are they permitted to be uh, reserved in a house of some sort? Um, no, you can. I mean, you can you can bury cremated remains anywhere. You. I ideal. mean, can you can you keep the 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 vessel of the? Can you call them cremains, or is it just? You can, but I think that's kind of a made-up word. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, like you're asking, can you put it up on the mantle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not supposed that. to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think you're I supposed mean, to. I mean, basically the way that the church looks at it is treat cremated remains exactly as you would treat an actual human body. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, that you wouldn't sense. put a human body on your mantle. Don't put cremated remains on your mantle. Because, so for example, Hurricane Harvey came through and there were dozens of people who, mm-hmm. I had a couple of phone calls where people said, you know, I was... Um, I, we had, we had cremated remains, but they are now gone mm-hmm. with a lot of our other stuff. Mm. Um, do you all have, do you have anything left over? Anything left over? Oh, and I wasn't even the funeral home that they had used. Oh, I just wow. was the first oh, funeral home that, that popped up on, on Google. Oh, and I said, oh, you know, no ma'am, we, we don't maybe call the funeral home, but I, I could tell you they're, yeah, they're not going to. So. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons why the the reasons that I've heard most often from clergy why you should bury cremated remains and in a timely manner is number one you could they, something could happen to them mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the longer they're in a non secured non permanent location something could happen to them and then mm-hmm. then what are you going to do yeah. Um, but number two is they prefer that people are, there's a definitive, your loved one is gone and it's time to say goodbye. Yeah, I could see how there could be a, a little bit of a strange sort of cultic. We have this like shrine, we have their remains, we have this picture of them, we have this mm-hmm. like really weird relationship yeah. to like right. the body. I mean, it, it's really helpful, I think, the, the sort of heuristic you mentioned earlier about if you would do it to a body, you could do it to the remains and that, that would probably be okay. And you immediately are like, yeah, we don't keep it in the house. Like, right. That's not a thing. <laughs> right. But Catholics, I can tell you, the Catholics struggle with that. Some struggle with it. Some don't struggle with it at all. Some will say, I don't care what my priest says. I'm going to do what I want. Hmm. What do you do as a like Catch-22 funeral director where you want to abide by the wishes of your clients but your client, even if say your client, just to make it even more difficult, say your client says they're like a, a practicing Catholic and then they want to do something that's just totally counter to what the church teaches and what you personally want to do. It happens a lot. And what I always <laughs> okay. do is I will tell them my personal opinion yeah. as a Catholic, which is, which is whatever it is you're going to do, do it soon. And in fact, I have that conversation kind of early on because when we talk about cremation, 
and we're organizing the various details of the services, a lot of times an urn, the, the conversation of an urn will come up and I will ask, okay, what is your plan for the permanent yeah. disposition of these cremated remains? And that's usually when they'll tell me, oh, we're going to either bury hmm. um, in the columbarium at Our Lady of Walsingham, mm-hmm. or we're going to bury in the family plot at Forest Park Lawndale, mm-hmm. you know, or they'll say, we are going to, a third is going to go to one son. Can you an, split it up like that? Another, I you had to keep it together. Well, you're supposed to, but but okay. th- this is when the family will tell me. I see. I get it. Yeah. Yes. And so, <laughs> so we have, yeah. so we have that conversation. The conversation will come up early on and I will ask, um, have you talked to your priest? You know, have you, have you gotten any type of, yeah. have you had this conversation with someone that you hold in high esteem within the church? Have you attempted to form yourself at all and what the church teaches? <laughs> And most people haven't. Yeah, most yeah. most haven't. And even those who have, they've just said, eh, I'm going to do what I want right. to do. Yeah. Yeah. So at that point, I, I, I have to weigh it and I have to balance it. I don't want to. Yeah. It's not my position to be overly pushy. But if, if I think somebody is genuinely looking for information, I'll tell them. Yeah. I talked to somebody just today. The exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um she was just unaware or had kind of heard, well, I heard the church doesn't really like this. Well, mm. What do you think, Joe? And so I'll tell them, but ultimately I let them know that it's their choice. Yeah. That, that, cause I don't want them to feel guilty mm-hmm. or being judged. Cause I've done that before mm. and that's center. That's, I don't go quite that far, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's, I've, I've, I've made a sad situation worse sure. because I tried to impose my own opinion and it, it not only did the family not use my services, mm-hmm. um, but I just felt like a rotten human being. Sure. Cause it was like, great. I just made this, her brother's dying and now I just made it worse. Yeah. Yeah. Any mistake in your business is like not a small one. Probably yeah. it's like, yeah. So yeah. it's, it's, I learned the balancing act, but over trial and error. Sure. You know, there's a lot of cultures that have a tradition of visiting graves. You know, I kind of think first of Mexico with the Day of the Dead and where where the the kind of line between the living and the dead becomes a little blurred because people go every year to spend time with their family members that have, you know, moved on. And uh, I, I was wondering what you think the role of visiting a grave is as part of just, like you said, maybe focusing your own life or remembering the loved ones that have passed and, you know, and and why it is important to be able to have a place where you go visit a loved one, as opposed to scattering the ashes where they're gone forever, you know, and you can't go back and, and, and visit them, so to speak. Yeah. That's a good question. Each person is different. Um, but I'll say this. I have seen families who lose someone. And I mean, they are at the grave every day yeah. for mm-hmm. hours. 
Yeah. And they just, they continue to carry on their life just as if they're sitting at the dining room table. Sure. And then as time goes on, um, maybe the person will come to the cemetery a little bit less and it might be every other day. And then maybe mm-hmm. they'll only go once a week and then maybe they'll only go maybe once or twice a month. And yeah. then maybe they'll only go on an anniversary or a birthday. Um, and so you do, I do observe that where I think there is a desire to still feel that, okay, I was, I was so close to this person that I talked to them every day. Well, this is my opportunity to talk to mm-hmm. them as close as I can. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just finding a nice quiet spot at home and opening the paper and sort of having a virtual conversation with them. I think that a lot of people like to go to the actual place of burial. Yeah. Um, I think a second reason that people go and a really good reason why it's important. And I'll use my own family as, as the example, because that's when it hit me is the second reason that it's important to have a permanent place of memorial is because it tells you where your people are from. Mm. Mm. So my mother is from the Midwest. She, she's from St. Louis. And a few years back, we all went on a big family reunion trip up to St. Louis. And I, for the first time went to the graves of her parents Mm. and her parents' parents. Yeah. And I had never been, but it was so it was so fulfilling to me yeah, to yeah. see their names chiseled into a piece of limestone. Right. Because I'm looking around and I'm realizing, okay, the air is different up here than it is down in Houston. The trees are different. There's more hills than there are in Houston. Mm-hmm. I've, I've gone from one point, Houston, and I've, I've pilgrimaged or journeyed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now I'm up in... South Illinois. Right. And this is where my mother's people are from. And so it gave me a sense of, of connection. Yeah. That, um, that I never, I never would have even known that that was in lingering in the back of my mind until it actually was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's really great. That phrase, remembering where you're from. Yeah. (laughs) Like that, that there is a, that there is a um, a place that you're from that in some way uh, is part of who you are. Like when um, Pope John Paul II, uh, the great, I don't know how many acronyms you put in front of his name now. Uh, <laughs> when he, uh, yeah, Grand Master Pope John Paul II, Saint, whatever you call him. Um, he, when he talks about uh, the, the types of mourning you can go through, he talks about the loss of a loved one and the loss of family. And one of the things he mentioned is... Um, a a loss of uh, like the motherland like if when you are like his experience of being removed from Poland mm. and being detached from like the land that you're from it's like he knew where he was from and that was part of who he was in the same way that he like in the same sense where you describe like your wife and your family and your kids and your home like the land in a way it, it's it sort of embodies the, the sort of broader community at least in the time and place that he was from and um, yeah, that's something I think like we, yeah, that's really cool. I'm particular, but like we would all 
be able to gain a lot from was to be able to say, you know, remembering where you're from in a way that like makes it a, like a thing you could mourn having lost. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. will often tell families because there is a financial part of the funeral arrangement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually goes just the financial part is also one of the big chain game changers. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, one of the things that I'll tell a family is I like to know what their budget is. Yeah. You know, let's, let's cut to the chase. Mm-hmm. Let's right. let me know, be very honest with me and let me know what you are comfortable with because mm-hmm. I'm not doing you any good. If I paint this very, you know, evocative image of healing and all this and the price tag is, is yeah is out is, of reach yeah is out of reach so that's no good right. so i will a lot of times tell the family hey listen instead of spending x amount on a casket which nobody's going to remember you know i'll remember it cuz i know caskets but yeah family members don't i mean they might know well it was a brown casket mm-hmm. you know um so i'll tell them you know, spend 500 bucks less on a casket and put that towards the tombstone because the tombstone is going to be around for the next hundred years. That's right. Mm -hmm. So some people take me up on it. Some don't. Sure. Um, but do you have an actual like year description? Like there are sometimes where design a building architecturally, you can say, this is a 50 year building and there's something associated with that. (laughs) Is there like a a 200 year tombstone? tombstone? Yeah. 10,000 year tombstone. Yeah, no, that's funny. Uh, no. What's the half-life of the material that's made of? Uh, limestone, it really, limestone is the only, they used to only be made of limestone, but uh-huh. limestone probably deteriorates faster than yeah. anything like else. Marble or something? Yeah, so now they're made, now most of them are made of granite. Granite. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Most are made of granite, but I'll tell them. You yeah. Know, spend, you spend a little extra on your tombstone because that's what your great-grandkids are going to see. So if you were designing a chapel specifically for funeral masses, what would it look like and how would it differ from other churches? That's an excellent question. Um, I would say that it would really need to convey a sense of comfort. Mm. Um, I think People are confused when they go into church for a funeral. That is, yeah. Um, especially if they've been away for a while. Especially, know? yeah. So if they if they if the last time they went to church was, you know, five Easter's ago, right? Um. So I would first say the colors. Hmm. You know, maybe colors. maybe slightly darker. Yeah. Um. A lot of... Would it be somber? Like, is somber a right word to describe it? Or is that not what you would be going for? I think somber is good in the funeral context. I think, because I think you need to... It's kind of like a sponge. You got to you gotta wring out a sponge. Mm. You're never going to be able to... No matter how hard you squeeze a sponge, you're not going to squeeze it dry. Yeah. You know, but you will squeeze enough so that it can reabsorb more water down the line. Yeah. And I think, um, and I think that 
churches do themselves a favor if they keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would say, uh, darker colors are, are more lend themselves to finding comfort in the pew. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I think the music has to be right. Um, I think that the hymns that are chosen, you know, the, the key and the melody, you know, you can't, so many families like to play when the saints go marching in. Well, most priests don't allow that. Yeah. Really? They just, yeah, they just, um, and again, it kind of goes back to the, the insatiable desire to make every, to put a happy spin on everything. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think that putting that happy spin is always the best medicine. And so, so then I would say, number one, start with the colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of churches I could, that I think are good examples of, of, of color schemes done right. Mm-hmm. And there are a handful of churches that I think are color schemes that are very institutional feeling. What do you, in, in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, what churches that you've been to do you think are like doing it really, really well? So I think All Saints Church in the Heights, um, it's, an, it's a much older, the building uh-huh. itself is yeah, much yeah. older. I think a newer church, but a really one that was done very, very well is St. John Vianney. Mm-hmm. Uh, very specifically their floors, mm, the marble floors, because they use a lot of maroons mm-hmm. and darker colors. Um, and they just jumped out at me. They, they really were a, um, a unique and interesting feature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the placement of the baptismal font has a lot to do with it. Yeah. Um, Smaller details, you know, do they use carpet? Do they not use carpet? Um, if you're pushing a casket in and out, well, the harder the surface, the easier it is to push a casket. Yeah. Um, you want wider <laughs> aisles. Um, but, but you also want there to be, from an architectural point of perspective, e- you want ease between the hearse and the altar. Yeah. But there also, for example, is a wonderful. So St. Cecilia's Church had the altar area is wonderful because at the very top in the dome is at the right time of day the sunlight comes through and if mm. if the if at the end of mass um the priest will incense the candle, the yes. casket. Yes. And a lot of times you can see the yeah. smoke of the incense. And the rays of light. Yes. And it's, it's, it's so awesome. It's I a wonderful, that. it's just a wonderful image. Yeah. 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 And so, but it's hard to, it's almost, you just get lucky yeah. if everything <laughs> yeah. comes together at the right time and they're doing the right ritual. Um, but it's good to keep all of those sort of in mind. I would think when going to design something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So as we close up this podcast, it's worth noting that we're sitting around a table, sipping a little bourbon with a skull <laughs> right in front of the uh, covering up the 
the bitten apple of the iMac, like the, <laughs> the sign of sin with the, the death in front of it. Um, so, Joseph, thank you yeah, for thank spending you, some Joseph. time with us. Yeah. Um, Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Where can our listeners um, find you on either in the physical world or online somehow? I'm going to get in touch with you. So, if you have questions about anything. So if you live in Fort Wayne, Indiana, but you have a question about anything funeral related, most of the laws relating to funerals are similar throughout the U.S. So if you have any questions at all, you're welcome to call me. Um, I give presentations to funeral directors around the country from time to time talking about um, the importance of providing traditional services, but presenting them to families in a way that is appealing to them. Mm. Um, so wherever you may be, you can call me. Um, my telephone number is 713-802-0000. It's a pretty easy number to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, we're down here in Houston, Texas. Uh, you can also find us on the web, which is probably the easiest and most common way is, uh, josephjearthman.com um, and generally if uh, the phones ring I'm the one who's going to answer whether it's 2 in the afternoon or 2 in the morning alright awesome so, so uh, yeah so and I'm happy to help so and answer any questions that you might have great thanks again alright thanks gentlemen alright Thanks for listening. The best way to enjoy the podcast is to pull up the accompanying blog post for the episode at beautyevernew.com. There you will find show notes, guest information, helpful visual aids, and more. To continue the conversation, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and let us know how you're experiencing beauty in your churches and communities.